We're continuing in our series on the Gospel of Mark. And again, I do appreciate very much Heath preaching, uh, doing, uh, doing much preaching over the last two months. Also, Tommy Carr for filling in as well. We're going to be looking at Mark chapter 7, verses 1 through 13. Mark chapter 7, verses 1 through 13. Now, when the Pharisees gathered to him with some of the scribes who had come from Jerusalem, they saw that some of his disciples ate with hands that were defiled, that is, unwashed. For the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they wash their hands properly, holding to the tradition of the elders. And when they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. And there are many other traditions that they observe, such as the washing of cups and pots and copper vessels and dining couches. And the Pharisees and the scribes asked him, Why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders, but eat with defiled hands? And he said to them, Well, did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites, as it is written? This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain did they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. You leave the commandment of God and hold to the tradition of men. And he said to them, you have a fine way of rejecting the commandment of God in order to establish your tradition. For Moses says, honor your father and your mother, whoever and whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. But you say, if a man tells his father or mother, whatever you would have gained from me is Corban, that is given to God, then you no longer permit him to do anything for his father or mother thus making void the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down. And many such things you do. Father, we pray that you would open our eyes and open our ears and open our hearts, that we would know you through your son, Jesus Christ, and that we would draw close in heart to you. Father, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. A few months ago, I was uh, at a place of business that I frequent. Uh, I'd say about once a month I go to this particular place. And as I came up to the counter and had my merchandise for the clerk to check out, they uh, checked on the computer and they said, um, uh, Mr. Brown, we thank you for your service and you're going to get a military discount. Now, you might be surprised. You might not have known that I um, was in the military. Well, I was surprised, too, uh, because I haven't served in the military. And I said, well, I appreciate that you're giving this military discount, but I have not served in the military. I'm not currently serving in the military. I don't deserve that discount. And uh, about a month later, I came back and same sort of thing, brought my items to the counter. And the, the clerk you know, looked at the computer and said, thank you for your service, Mr. Brown. You get a military discount. I said, no, I, I, we went through this last month. No, I'm appreciate what you're doing, but it's, I don't deserve that. And third month, guess what happened? Happened again, the third month. And so I, uh, I started to think back to the few months before, and the only thing I could figure out was while I was in this particular store, somebody came in and they were asking questions about a, a product that was kind of expensive, which I had bought from the store, And I was singing its praises, and I guess they made the sale, and the manager overheard me, and I guess that was the one discount they could give me, and so he just said, enter that in there. 
And so now when I go into the store and they say, thank you for your service, I just look at them and um, I get my 5% or whatever it is, right? Um, and, but it made me think about um, honor, right? I was, I was very uncomfortable because honor should be given to whom honor is due. What is honor? And we find our text today has everything to do with honor. It has to do with Jesus being accused of not honoring God. And Jesus, in fact, saying, no, I honor God. My disciples honor God, but you dishonor God. So what is honor about? It has to do with words, has to do with actions, and it has to do with, excuse me, the heart behind the actions. So if you're here today... I would assume that on some level you're here because you want to honor God. I mean, you might even not even call yourself a Christian. You might just be curious. But at some level you're thinking, I want, I want to know more about what the Bible says, what Jesus says about honoring God, what that means, what that would look like. And so that's what we're going to look at today. The Pharisees in their squad came from Jerusalem, which is south of Galilee. And uh, they came to give Jesus a hard time. And they said in verse 1, it says in verse 1, Now the Pharisees gathered to him with some of the scribes who had come from Jerusalem, and they saw that some of his disciples ate with hands that were defiled, that is, unwashed. And he goes into some detail about that. And then in verse 5, And the Pharisees and the scribes asked him, Why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders, but eat with defiled hands? Hands. They're accusing Jesus through his disciples of not honoring God. Your disciples, you're not a very good leader, Jesus, because your disciples are not following the traditions related to washing that have been handed down from the elders. And so you're just not a very good leader, and your disciples are not very good followers, and neither are honoring God. Now, what's going on here? He's talking about, they're talking about washing. Now, there were washings that were commanded in the Old Testament. For instance, washing was to be done by the priests before entering the tabernacle. We see that in a few places in the Old Testament law. And we also find that rank-and-file people were supposed to wash uh, if they had touched a bodily discharge of any kind, Leviticus 15, 11. Uh, But beyond that, there really wasn't anything about washing. So where did this come from? It came from the oral, the verbal tradition of the elders. Um, And so this washing in the Old Testament, now we're used to washing now, right? You know, 20 seconds for hygiene, you wash your hands. This was not about hygiene. This was about spiritual cleanliness before God, that there were laws that were about ceremonies in the Old Testament that separated the people uh, from those around them, separated God's people from those around them. And some of that had to do with these cleansing rites. But here, this was above and beyond. This is called the Mishnah. The Mishnah was the oral tradition uh, that developed and then finally was put into written form about 200 years after the birth of Christ. And there are many, many things in the Mishnah about these washings. For instance, if you were reading the book of Daniel, 
You have the scroll of Daniel, and you came to the portion that was written in Aramaic instead of Hebrew, and you touched that portion of the scroll, your hands were defiled because it wasn't written in Hebrew. And so you had to be cleansed because you touched this portion of Scripture that was written in Aramaic. Here's what one commentator said about the belief at the time of Christ that the Pharisees would have had about where this oral tradition came from. He says this, Although the claim cannot be sustained from the Old Testament itself, rabbis promoted the idea that Moses had received two laws on Mount Sinai, the written Torah and the oral Mishnah. The Mishnah was believed to preserve an unbroken chain of authorized tradition extending from Moses to the great synagogue of Jesus' day. The Mishnah, called the oral interpretation, a fence around the Torah, fence being understood as preservation of the integrity of the written law by elaborating every conceivable implication of it. So the Pharisees believed that the law of God was insufficient to honor God, that they needed this oral tradition. Now, we might think, why, why would they do that? Why would they be so concerned about that? Why would these things crop up? And a couple weeks ago, Tommy Carr preached on Good King Josiah from the Old Testament. And prior to Good King Josiah and after Good King Josiah were some not-so-good kings, and they led people into apostasy. They led people into idolatry and immorality. And God, in the law, had said to uh, the Israelites, if they, uh, in fact, did these things, that they would be sent into exile. And so they went. And so it was understandable after they returned from exile to say, we do not want to uh, go back into exile. We need to protect the law. We need to put a fence around the law. And so if there's a sign that says, uh, you know, wet paint, you've got a door that says wet paint, uh, that's not good enough. You've got to put a fence around that door, around that sign. Then you've got to put a second fence around that fence to, so that people might never touch that door. So that was part of the motivation. However, Jesus says, the Pharisees of his day, that this tradition was actually not a means of honoring God. But in fact, though they honored God with their lips, their actions and their tradition demonstrated that their heart was actually far from God, not close to God. Now, what could possibly go wrong with people adding rule upon rule upon rule? What could go wrong with that? You know, well, Jesus tells us the Pharisees, tells the Pharisees that they dishonor God by setting up new rules which are not commanded by God. Okay, verses six and seven. Well, did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites, as it is written, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. And so they add to the law of God with doctrines that are nothing more than rules made up of men, by men. And ironically, it's Isaiah the prophet that Jesus quotes. Isaiah the prophet that came to Israel and said, you will go into exile for your idolatry, for your lawlessness. The very, the very prophet that is warning, the, warning them and what the Pharisees and others were saying, we don't want to go back there. They were honoring God with their lips, but their heart intention was far from God as evidenced 
by their actions. They were, you know, Jesus was saying, hey, you're up in my grill, but you're saying that I'm supposed that to do this, I've got to do this to honor God, but God never commanded it. It's something he never asked for. It's sort of like going into a place of, of business. Let's suppose you are actually military and you go up to that place of business and you come up to the clerk and they say, thank you for your uh, service, sir. And they jump up and down three times. Don't you just feel honored about that? You know, it's like, uh, not really. You know, what does that have to do with that? Um, and in the same way, they made up these rules And in God's sight, it had nothing to do with honoring him whatsoever by its addition. Now, John Calvin has said our hearts are idol factories. Our hearts are also tradition factories. And not all tradition is bad. You know, we have lots of traditions. Traditions can be very helpful. Uh, We need habits in our lives to help us. But our hearts uh, can go to traditions and make traditions a way that we believe will help us worship God in ways that he's never asked us to honor or worship him through. When I was a campus minister, I took students to uh, Athens, Greece, and we did evangelistic ministry in the university there, some of the universities in Athens. Uh, But we couldn't on this one particular day because it was a national holiday. It was a national holy day. See, it was lined up with the Greek Orthodox Church. It was Clean Monday. You ever heard of Clean Monday? Um, it's not anywhere in Scripture, right? You don't see any Monday that's supposed to be celebrated in Scripture. So Clean Monday. And all of these different traditions kind of rose up around this uh, religious holiday, including different foods that you were supposed to eat. And I, and I discovered this when we went uh, that day to a church camp. And they had a beautiful spread of food and took all these traditional Clean Monday foods and went through the buffet and got various things. And I saw... There was this one um, a bowl of yogurt. Uh, it was, you know, it was strawberry yogurt, and the Greeks have great yogurt. So I took two heaping spoonfuls of this yogurt, and I sat down, and I ate my meal. And when I got to the yogurt, I took a big spoonful and stuck it in my mouth, and I, it was everything I could do not to spit it out. Because it wasn't yogurt, it was fish roe. And so when you're expecting sweet strawberry yogurt and you get fish eggs, uh, it's quite the shock. So I went up to the pastor and I said, um, I told him what I had done. He's, oh, that's so funny. That's, you know, that's a traditional thing we eat at this time of year. And then he introduced me to the congregation. Of course, all of it was in Greek. And he told them the stupid American did this. He thought it was, they all laughed, had a good time. But those silly Greeks, we wouldn't do anything like that, would we? We wouldn't make up any kind of, any kind of tradition and add tradition to that in terms of worshiping. Well, Jesus tells the Pharisees that not only did they set up traditions, new traditions that God never commanded, but he says they leave the commandment of God to follow that tradition, right? One step forward. They don't just add it. They actually leave the command of God to follow this new tradition. Verse 8, you leave the commandment of God and hold to the tradition of men. And we could do the same thing. Now, let me meddle a little bit here. So around November, uh, we start seeing evangelicals plastering up on billboards and on Facebook pages. Keep Christ in what? Christmas. Honor Christmas 
by keeping Christ in Christmas. Now, why would we not honor Christ in Christmas? I mean, we've got all these traditions, right? We've got Christmas trees, we've got presents, we've got Christmas cookies, all kinds of Christmas traditions. Well, guess what? Nowhere in Scripture does it say anything about observing Christmas, right? So we have a holiday, a holy day that is set apart, a tradition that has never been commanded by God. We say, let's keep Christ in Christmas. Um, Now, there is one day that is set apart in Scripture, the Sabbath day. And in the New Testament, we find the Apostle John refers to the Lord's Day, a day that is set apart, that is holy for worship and rest. Now, what day of the year is probably the least attended Sunday of worship? Once every seven years, approximately, Christmas falls on Sunday. And so what do many, many Christians do? They're at home celebrating Christmas around their Christmas tree with their presents. And they're not at what is commanded by God, a day of worship, celebration for him. So the point is this. I'm really not a Grinch. If you want to celebrate Christmas, that's fine. I think it's good to celebrate the incarnation of Jesus Christ. But the point is this, that we can do it too, that we can can neglect the command of God by following a man-made tradition and somehow think that somehow that man-made tradition is how God wants to be honored. Well, the Pharisees actually went one step further. They rejected the command of God. They actually violated it by their traditions. They actually did the opposite of the thing that the command of God commanded by their tradition. And so we see that this is something that we can do that we need to be careful of. And this is, this is what we see in chapter 7, verses 7, excuse me, verses 10 through 13. For Moses said, honor your father and mother, and whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. But you say, if a man tells his father or mother, whatever you would have gained from Corban, for me is Corban, that is given to God, then you no longer permit him to do anything for his father or mother, thus making void the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down, and many such things you do. Jesus is saying this. All right, Pharisees, you're accusing me of not honoring God. Let's talk about honor. How do we honor God? Ah, well, God talks about honor. We honor God by honoring our parents. Now, kids, I want to talk to you a little bit here. So if you're, if you're a child, you have probably heard from your parents in Sunday school, honor your father and mother means that you are to obey your father and mother. And that is true. But did you know when you grow up and you're outside of the home and you no longer have to obey them, you have your own family, that you still are supposed to honor your father and mother and your parents are still supposed to honor their father and mother? We see that here in the text because Jesus is speaking to adults. And what's going on here is the tradition of the elders said this. You can have something in the bank. You can have finances set aside. You can have a mom or a dad who is too old to work. They don't have enough money to take care of themselves. And you can say, Corbin, 
I devote this money to God, even if I'm not using it, even if I'm not donating it at that particular time, I simply state that it is devoted to God, and then you may not use that to take care of your parents. Sorry, Mom. Sorry, Dad. I'm too spiritual to help you out. I've devoted this to God. That was what Corbin was about. And so Jesus says, you speak of devotion. You speak of honor, but you're hypocrites. With your lips, you honor, but with your heart, you demonstrate that you're far from God because he's commanded this in Scripture, and you have rejected his command and have, in fact, substituted your tradition, which opposes it. As application, one thing is very apparent, and that is if you want to honor God, it's really pretty simple. It's not complicated to know how to honor God. We honor God through his word, through his commands in all of scripture. So you don't have to sort of invent something new. You don't have to invent a new tradition. Um, I was reading with my granddaughter yesterday a book that we got from the library, and in that book in the library, it talked again and again and again of what you do You do, and and your guide is your heart. Search your heart. Do what's in your heart. And at the end of it, I said, no, (laughs) no. You you look for God's heart, and you live out your life the way God would have you live. And we we understand that through his word. And so if if today, if you're here, if you're saying, how do I I live out and honor God in my life in a way that God wants? It's, It's simple. It's not always simple to do, but it's simple to know. That we follow God's word. We follow God's word and we honor him through it. What the Pharisees were doing were kind of like this, using my clerk analogy. Let's suppose you're a, uh, in the military and you go to the place of business and uh, the clerk says, thank you for your service. And they take an American flag and they throw it on the floor and they stomp on it. And they pick it up and they spit on it and they throw it in your face and say, don't you feel honored? No. No, and that's what Jesus was saying about the Pharisees. The Pharisees were actually seeking to honor God in a way that dishonored God, a way that, 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 that instead they critiqued Jesus in the way they were doing it. So what do we do? We come to Jesus and we say, Jesus, and again, understand we've been looking at the Gospel of Mark and saying, what does this say about Jesus? What does this say about how we are to respond to Jesus? And we come to him humbly and say, Jesus, wherever you lead me, I'll go there. As I understand, as I begin to understand, as I grow in my understanding, I will, I will follow you wherever you lead me. Um, while I was gone in the, in the month of June on the floor of the House of Representatives, a congressman stood up and he said this. He said, I just thought I would now recite for you what Jesus Christ said about homosexuality. And then he remained silent for 20 seconds. He ended his speech and he said, I yield back. Now that Twitter video has been viewed almost 2 million times. What was it that the congressman was saying? The congressman was saying that, well, Jesus didn't say anything specifically about this. And so he must not find the issue of homosexuality to be very important. But what we have clearly stated here in Mark chapter 7, and there are many things that Jesus didn't touch on related to the Old Testament law and other aspects of the New Testament, but he clearly said 
If you're to follow me as I honor God, as you honor God, you will follow his commands and not the devices of your own heart, not your own invention, but what God says. And the Bible says that related to homosexuality and any other sexual sin that God has has said that within the context of marriage between a man and a woman, that sex is good and right and constructive, and outside of that context, it's destructive and sinful. Unless you would think I'm just sort of beating up on one particular sin, in the New Testament, the Apostle Paul uh, refers in some detail to this in Romans chapter 1. But then he goes on to talk about many, many other acts of unrighteousness. He says they were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips. They are slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them but give approval to those who practice them. So there are many, many things in God's word that we are to hear and to follow Christ and honor God through, regardless of what he says. We don't try to wiggle out of it. Being a a disciple means that you follow him wherever he leads and when he calls out your sins and shortcomings. You know, he didn't just call out the Pharisees and their sins and shortcomings. He called out his own followers. Mark chapter 440, he said, why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? Mark 833, he rebuked Peter and said, get behind me, Satan, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. And after Jesus was raised from the dead, Mark 1614 records, he appeared to the 11 themselves as they were reclining at table and he rebuked them for their unbelief and hardness of heart because they had not believed those who saw him after he'd risen. And so Jesus rebuked and he called out his disciples. And yet, they still followed him. They followed him where he would lead. You see, Jesus Christ came to save you from your sins, as the Gospel of Mark says, to be a ransom for many. For even the Son of Man came not to serve, but to to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus Christ is the only one that completely honored the Father. He did it perfectly. And he came here, in fact, to do that, to give honor to God perfectly and to lead a sinless life and to lead a perfect life of love in your place and in my place. That's what draws our hearts to God. Through the power of the Holy Spirit, our eyes are open We see our need. We realize that we are far from honoring God in everything we do. And yet Jesus Christ has done this. And so we place our faith in Jesus. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. And so it's not somehow that the Pharisees are bad and we're good. The disciples of Jesus are good. No, we trust in the perfect goodness holiness, righteousness of Jesus Christ, and and we're counted not guilty in his sight. And as a result, as a result, we honor him. And you might be saying, I don't feel like I'm, I even want to honor God sometimes. That's absolutely right. 
The Bible says the man came to Jesus. I believe, help my unbelief. And we come to him and we say, Jesus, I honor you and I honor your father. But there are times when I don't feel like honoring your father. Sometimes I just forget about honoring you. You know, we can do the right thing, actually, and not be honoring God. You can, you can actually do what God commands and do it because you want to be seen as some upstanding citizen. That's not motivation to honor God. And so it has to do with what's on our lips. We come here today to honor God with our lips. We come here to honor God because in our hearts we want to honor God. We realize we don't perfectly honor God, so we come to Jesus Christ admitting that he perfectly honored God for us. And then we know that he will draw us close to him as we come to him, as we admit our guilt and continue to follow him. Jesus Christ said this, that all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life, does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. Today we're going to be celebrating the Lord's Supper. And in the Lord's Supper, what we have is a statement of Jesus a covenant statement. He has covenanted with us. He's come into an agreement and promised that he will be our savior. He will be our God, that he has done everything necessary that we might have a loving relationship with God for all eternity. And as we come and as we see the, the bread and the fruit of the vine, we think of his, his body and his blood sacrificed for us. We are drawn close to Jesus. We're drawn close to him. So as we prepare to do that, Let us confess. Let us confess our sins to him and come to him and know that he will forgive us. And so uh, if you will take out your bulletin or look at the the, um, screen behind me. Let us now together confess our sins to our almighty God. Almighty and most merciful Father. We have erred and strayed from your ways like lost sheep. We have followed too much the devices and desires of our own hearts. We have offended against your holy laws. We have left undone those things which we ought to have done. And we have done those things which we ought not to have done. And there is nothing good in us. O Lord, have mercy upon us, miserable offenders. Spare those, O God, who confess their faults. Restore those who are penitent, according to your promises declared unto men in Christ Jesus our Lord, and grant that we may hereafter live a godly, righteous, sober life. To the glory of his name, amen. Now hear the assurance of Christ's pardon. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh but made alive in the spirit. And in response, and as we prepare for the Lord's Supper, let's sing the first two verses of There is a Fountain. Let's stand and sing.